in our new series um, called And He Shall Be Called, and we're doing it throughout Christmas, and we're, we're talking, uh, basically it's out of Isaiah 9, and we're talking about some different names that, that Jesus was called, um, that God is called, and we're, we're, we're focusing on four specific ones on the Sunday mornings, and then on uh, Christmas Eve we're going to talk about one of my favorite ones. Um, but you know, names in our society are kind of weird. And I'm going to, uh, today I'm going to tell you some of the weird names. Anybody heard anybody that has a name and you're just kind of like, why? Right? You slap a name on a kid when they're a baby. Some of the weird names that I looked up, um, there's one. It's Absidi. Have you guys heard of Absidi? Anybody else heard of this? It's A, B, C, D, E. A, B, C, D, E, Absidi. And apparently she was on a flight and a flight attendant saw on her, she, it's, she's like a five-year-old girl, and, um, and this flight attendant was kind of mocking her and posted it on social media and it became this big dramatic thing. But her name is A, B, C, D, E, Absidi. Um, Michael Jackson's nephew is Your Majesty. Jackson. Uh, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West named their child North. Northwest. Uh, Rosalind Arusha Arcadina Adaluna Florence is um, Uma Thurman's baby. How'd you like to spell that one out in kindergarten? Um, Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon named their kids Moroccan and Monroe, so they could call them Rock and Row. Mm-hmm. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow named anybody know what Gwyneth named her baby? Apple. Mm-hmm. Apple a day keeps the doctor away. Uh, Rob Morrow named his child two. Two Morrow. <laughs> and then the ever famous Frank Zappa children, Diva Thin Muffin, Dweezil, and Moon Unit. Anybody so so thankful that you're not named Moon Unit? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, today, uh, when we when we get into this scripture, I just want to give you a little a little Bible lesson. But before we get into that, can we just really invite the presence of the Lord? After those names, maybe <laughs> we need to. <laughs> anyway, Lord, we uh, we thank you for your goodness. We do invite your presence, Jesus. We. Uh, We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your character. We thank you for your goodness to us. Speak to us today through your word. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to be entering into the section in Isaiah chapter 9. But I want to give you a little Bible lesson. So you know, a lot of people say, I don't know why, why I should read the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't really doesn't really apply to my life today. There are three things that that you can get out of reading the Old Testament. First of all, the literal historical um, accounts. These things are literal and historical. They actually happened. And throughout the years, people have tried to disprove the Bible, but over and over and over, it's been been, uh, proven that these things that are in the Bible are actually, they line up with non-religious or non-spiritual historians that 
that the Bible is historically accurate. So that's one thing you get out of it. It's historically accurate. Another thing to look for is patterns. You look for patterns that you see throughout the Bible. That, you know, you see when the Israelites do this, this is how God responds, this is what he says to them. You look for patterns concerning the promises of God and concerning our inheritance in the Lord. So that's another thing you can look at. So that's more of a uh, symbolic. Um, Israel is, is a, a nation, but really when the Lord is talking about it, he is talking to us as individuals. We are Israel. Does that make sense? So it's, it's talking about a whole conglomerate of people, but it is really focusing on the individual. And then the third thing, and something that we're going to get into a little bit today, it's spiritual warfare. All of these battles, you know, there's so many battles throughout the Old Testament. People are like, why would I want to read about all these wars and these battles? Because we learn from them about the spirit realm. Even though, you know, these were actual physical historical, literal battles, we can learn from them in our lives and know how to do spiritual battle in our, in our lives. So what's happening, a little background for this, and he shall be called, it's, um, it's a, a prophecy in Isaiah. So what's been happening is the Syrians and the Assyrians have been decimating Israel and the Israelites, rather than turning to God, they're turning to mediums and spiritists and all kinds of things other than the Lord, leaning on their own understanding and, and the understanding of, of human beings, which the Bible denounces. And so um, it says that they're going to enter into this darkness. They're going to walk around in darkness and distress. We talked about this last week and talked about how Jesus is our wonderful counselor, that even when we walk in darkness that we can see a great light. And so what happened is they're walking in darkness and distress and discouragement and and things are looking really, really bad. And it says in Isaiah 9, verse 1, nevertheless, I like it when the Bible says nevertheless because there's always some good news to follow after that. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Isn't that hopeful? When you think about this in the context of you and your life and the patterns and the promises of God, your despair and your darkness, if that's the season of life that you're in right now or you're going through hardship or trials, this will not go on forever. Life goes in seasons, right? It says, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. For the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Yay! Good news, right? You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors uh, dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. What does that mean? 
Why, why does it talk about this? The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. This is a promise saying you're not going to need to fight anymore. The battle is over. The battle has already been won. And that's symbolic for us too. You know, as we go through hardships and trials, our battles have already been won. Jesus has already proven that he is victorious. Even when sometimes we are walking about and it seems like we're walking in darkness and distress. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So last week we talked about um, Jesus as our Wonderful Counselor, not just like, you know, he's a counselor that you go to to get some therapy or whatever, but he counsels us. That the more that we learn of him, the more that we come unto him, like it said in Matthew where it says, come unto me, Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which means, again, the teaching and the counsel of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. That was what we talked about last week, that Jesus promises us rest. Which is, I'm so grateful for that because you know those times where you're stressed out or you're going through something and you can just come into his presence and you can do this anywhere. You don't have to, you know, have the lights just right and the music just right and your Bible open in your lap. You can come to him anywhere in traffic. You can say, fill me with your spirit, Jesus. To me, it's the best blood pressure reducer is to just come into his rest. Invite him into your circumstance. Invite him into your stress. You know, don't forget about the Lord when you are going through that. That's the time to invite him in. Come to me when you're weary, when you're burnt out, when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed. You know, I've been hearing that word so much this last week when I ask, how are you? I'm overwhelmed. Anybody overwhelmed? Are you overwhelmed? With, with either stuff, so much stuff to do, or emotionally, or whatever burden for other people, Jesus is saying, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, cast your cares on him. Cast your burdens on him. Today we're going to be talking about the mighty God. And I'm really, really excited about this because I, I learned so much about really what that encapsulates. Um, and it says in verse 7 here, his government and its peace will never end. That's the good news. It's like you can enter into that rest and you can stay there. You can always enjoy his presence when you know him, when you've come to know him. It says, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Sounds like a done deal, doesn't it? Sounds like all we have to do is believe, which is a theme throughout the whole Bible. All we have to do is believe. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God that you have to believe in him. It says he will reward you when you believe and you trust him, even when you don't see him. I talk to so many people and they're so mad at God. 
They're angry at God because they don't understand what he's doing. They're going through a hard circumstance. They're going through a situation that they can't explain. And they're just ticked at God. And they're holding God at arm's length when he is the only one who has come to deliver. He's the only one that can set us free from that. But I've heard that so many times from people that, that when we don't understand what God's doing, somehow we think, forget it. Forget it. Rather than persevering like he calls us to do. Like it says in James, that you know when we go through trials, we need to persevere through them so we can be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. It says that the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. The Lord of heaven's armies, all of the armies in heaven will make this happen. So the government, it says the government will rest on his shoulders. That doesn't mean like, you know, God is a Republican, you know, (laughs) or God's a Democrat or God's an independent. God is an independent for sure, (laughs) not politically, but it's all of the authority, all of the power, everything that is in existence, everything in the heavens and earth will rest on his shoulders. And those are some massive shoulders. It's saying all of the authority, all of the power is upon him. And, And yet we doubt when our circumstances don't go the way we think they should. And he's saying, no, this is gonna happen. The zeal of the Lord, the Lord is gonna make these things happen. He is called, the uh, Hebrew word is El Gibor. El Gibor, which means powerful warrior, chief, champion, mighty, valiant, heroic. God is heroic. He never loses. Did you know that? God never loses Even when it doesn't look like he's winning, he is always heroic. He's always winning. Jesus, did you know Jesus was the very first superhero? He's the preeminent superhero. And you know, every once in a while when he was walking on earth, he'd just bust out one of his superpowers, you know? You know, like they're on the the sea and it's, there's this huge, called a furious squall. And all of a sudden Jesus like, peace, be still. And the disciples were like, What? why don't you do that all the time, Jesus? Or the feeding of the 5,000. All of a sudden, Jesus just whips out his superpower, demonstrates that he is fully God, right? God with us, Emmanuel, which it says in, in, um, in, uh, I think it's Isaiah 7, he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's fully God, fully man, but he is all powerful. Make no mistake about it. And it's so ironic I think it's so ironic that rather than coming down like this, you know, just like power hungry God, he comes down like a little baby at Christmas. And you know, throughout the Christmas story, there are so many angels that announce that he's coming and talk about him because the angels are so excited because they know that even though this little tiny baby, even though it looks really hopeless and helpless, actually, for those who have been waiting for the Messiah to come, they did not envision that Jesus was going to be born in a stable with animals and dung and, I mean, this lowly, humble stable. They thought he was going to come back as a king. They thought he was going to come back as a superhero. But instead, he comes back as a baby. And even in our own lives, you know, it's like, He's, he, he, he expects us to be patient. You know, throughout the Bible, it says, wait on the Lord. 
Wait on the Lord. Be strong and wait. And part of that means to wait, like to sit and wait, but part of it means, you know, to, to wait on him, like serve him. Just serve him and trust that he is good. Trust that regardless of what's going on, regardless of what things look like, he's still seated on the throne in righteousness and majesty, even when he came down to earth as a little tiny baby. You know, um, this little baby that became human is the same God that created all of the heavens and the earth. It's that, he is the same God. God. And it says in Hebrews, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even when he was that little tiny baby, he was still God. He was still the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, the largest uh, star that they've ever been able to see is called the big dog. It's called Canis Major. And it says that if, if the earth was the size of one golf ball, so any, all, any golfers there out here? Size of one golf ball, this star the big dog, the Canis Major, would be the size of Mount Everest. Can you even imagine? It says seven quadrillion Earths could fit into this one star. Seven quadrillion Earths could fit into this one star. And it says it's enough golf balls, if the Earth was the size of a golf ball, to cover the state of Texas 22 times that thick in golf balls. This is the same baby that came to earth, our Messiah. But make no mistake about it, he wasn't an impotent God. He wasn't a powerless God, even when he humbled himself to that point, even when he doesn't make sense, even when we're like, why, why do we have to wait so long? Why do I have to wait so long to see God answer my prayer? Or why, why is God letting me go through this? Why, you know, we ask these questions. You know, why, why isn't God hearing me? Right? Anybody else? Is it just me? Sometimes you're just like, God, hurry up, please. We don't understand why God does what he does. But he is still all powerful. The authority, all of the authority is still upon his shoulders. It says that, that God created the humongous universe out of nothing. Keep this in mind. This is still this little tiny baby. It's the same God. I mean, obviously when he was a little tiny baby, he wasn't creating things, but that was his way of humbling himself and becoming human so that when he was sacrificed, he could take all of the sins on the world because he lived a perfect and spotless life. And that is what the gospel is. That's really all the gospel is, is that Jesus humbled himself and came to earth so that he could bear the sins of the world, our sins. And it says that he created the universe out of nothing, which is called creation ex nihilo in Latin, which means creation out of nothing. And that's cool. That is so cool that God created all these things but it's not as cool as this fact. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was resurrected. You know, we get so used to that, right? We hear that. You're like, yeah, Jesus was crucified and then he died and then three days later he was resurrected. Think about that for a minute. He was resurrected from the dead. To me, that's amazing. 
It's amazing. But all the government, all the power, all the authority will rest on his shoulders. And he is still mighty to save. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God, this is a promise some of you really need to hear right now. The Lord your God is in your midst. You're, you're feeling like he's far away. You're not sensing his presence. Or you're, you're having a hard time trusting him. It's really, sometimes, I think we need to be reminded so many times throughout the Bible to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It, we're told that over and over and over. And I think the reason is because we don't naturally do that. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our own abilities. It's really hard for us sometimes to trust that God is on our side or that he hasn't abandoned us or forgotten us. But he is near. It says he is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He's a God of deliverance. He's a God of salvation. And this is probably the most amazing thing about God is is not that he created this massive universe, but that he came to save us. That he is such a good God, he came to save us. I heard this guy talking this week about um, the whole relationship with Saul and David and how, you know, God was at work because there was a lot of contention between King Saul and David. And David, remember, we talked about he was a man after God's own heart. He was this man who was, who, served the Lord and he sought the Lord. But man, that guy went through some serious trials, partly because of his own choices, but partly because of this guy named King Saul. King Saul was just really hard on David. He was super jealous of him, first of all. But the problem is that David, even being a man after God's own heart, still went through hardships, right? Just like us. But this, this pastor, it was Erwin Lutzer. I love Erwin Lutzer. He was saying that had, Jesus, or had David not gone through everything that he went through with Saul, we wouldn't have the Psalms that David wrote while he was going through all those hard times, that David was writing these things down. And now, even today, we can read them and we can be so encouraged by it. I'm, I, I love the Psalms. I know I tell you that all the time. The Psalms totally speak to me. They totally bring me hope. So if you're, if you're going through a rough time, open up the Psalms and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Psalms are right square in the middle of the Bible. I don't think that's a coincidence. Jesus came to save sinners. So how many of, how many of you think that you're a sinner? <laughs> if you don't think you're a sinner, then you don't know yourself very well. You know, I, um, when I was in Switzerland, I got to pray with this woman to receive Christ and um <laughs> and she was catholic so i was like so you're catholic so you can probably admit that you're a sinner right and she's like yes i can and that's the first step in accepting christ is admitting that you can't save yourself that when we stand before god we're not going to stand there and go you know i did a lot of good stuff you know, I served the poor and, and I was really generous and I did all these good things because it says that all of us, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. First Timothy fifteen fifteen. this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Of whom I am the foremost. 
He didn't come to the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save it, to save sinners. It's called sozo. And it means to save. And it doesn't mean just like this one-time thing. Oh, I prayed this one time and then I was born again. And then, and then from that point on, you just, you're on your own. No, sozo means it's an ongoing process. That he's still in the process of saving us. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he's still in the process of delivering. He's still the El Gibor, the mighty God, the heroic champion, the chief, the, the star You know, it's like he's never lost. He's kind of like the Patriots a little bit, you know. (laughs) Of course, they lost this year. But I mean, he's never lost. He's got all of the trophies because he always wins every single time. He probably has several Super Bowl rings too. (laughs) Imagine the size of the Super Bowl ring that God would wear. But he is still in the business of saving us. He's not this guy. I I just, I, I get so frustrated sometimes because I feel like, Again, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to believe that he is who he says he is. And he's telling us he's a mighty God. He is more powerful than we can even imagine. And yet, when the storms hit or the hardships come or God doesn't hear our prayers or we feel abandoned or we go through a dry season, we forget he's the El Gabor. He is the all-powerful, all knowing God who knows our needs before we even ask him. He knows exactly what we need. And sometimes what we need is to be patient. Sometimes we need to persevere. Sometimes we need to seek him. You know, instead of getting mad at God, don't get mad at God. Press in. Even in those times where you're like, God, I'm not feeling it. I mean, any of you in your marriage are like, I'm just not feeling it right now, right? That's, that, that doesn't mean that you've fallen out of love and it's time to break up. It's just not working out. No, it means that's the time where you, you stick it out. And even with the Lord, when you're going through whatever it is you're going through, whatever, you're, whatever is overwhelming you, that's the time you stick it out and you trust and you press in and you trust that he is the mighty God and that he's mighty to save and that he sings over us. Back to the Zephaniah. Um, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. What? The one who created the big dog star that created all of the heavens and the earth, he is going to rejoice over you with gladness. Is that crazy? Turn to your neighbor and tell them he's going to rejoice over you with gladness. Do you believe it? Can we say it together? He's going to rejoice over me with gladness. Say it together. He's going to rejoice over me with gladness. I'm so happy about that. He's in our midst. He's with us. And he's going to rejoice over us. And here's the thing. Some of you are going, no, not me, because I'm I'm in sin. I'm not obeying the Lord. I've done too much. I'm too far gone. It's, it's not saying that. It's, it's about his grace. Salvation is not about how good we can be or how much we clean up our own act. He came to save sinners. First Timothy 15. 
the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. It's saying, believe this. This is the truth. It says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save people that had their act together. People that were really good. People that did everything. No. He came to save sinners. I heard a story of this pastor and he sat next to this woman on the plane And she was very self-righteous and she was telling him she didn't really need a savior because she was so holy. And he said, um, he goes, well, let me ask you a question then. So you don't, you don't need a savior. Are you ungodly? And she was like, oh, how dare you? And she said, of course I'm not ungodly. He goes, well, then you don't qualify because Jesus came to save the ungodly. Think about that. He came to save the ungodly. He, it says that we are by, by nature objects of wrath. That's our nature. That's who we really are. We all need a savior and Jesus is that savior. Soren Kierkegaard, who's a theologian, says, God creates, creates the universe out of nothing. That's wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. That's what Jesus came for, to seek and to save those who were lost, which is us, of which we are the worst, the least, like Paul said. He's mighty today. God is still in the business today of saving us. So today, um, we're going to take communion together. So I don't know if the ushers are ready. But if you think about this, it's, it's based on what's called the Passover, which means it, the story of the, um, in Exodus, of the Israelites. So, so Pharaoh would not let them be set free. They were bound. They were, they were yoked by slavery. They were, the Israelites were all slaves. And that is so symbolic of us and of our sin and of our bondage and of the things that we struggle with. And they couldn't, they could, Pharaoh would not release them. And that's symbolic of the enemy of our souls not wanting to let go of that ground where he wants to rule and reign. Whether it's in your relationships, whether it's through bitterness, whether it's idolatry, where you, where you idolize something or someone, or whether it's just your arrogance and your pride or you're thinking that you're, that you're good enough. It's like, the enemy of your soul is going to consistently lie to you. And that's symbolic of Pharaoh. He doesn't want to let go. But then, the, then God sends all these plagues and Pharaoh still won't let them go. He keeps going, yeah, I'll let him go. And then he doesn't. He changes his mind, just like the enemy of our souls. Did you know that Satan is unrelenting in wanting to destroy you? He doesn't take a day off. And he usually attacks us in a way that we're not expecting it or he finds the weakness in us, or he finds the weakest point of where we walk, and he knows exactly how to get us to be discouraged and depressed and down and hopeless and faithless without faith. He knows how to do that. But the story continues where the blood of a lamb is, is painted over the door of the firstborn or is painted over the door of all the Israelites, I'm sorry. And, and the angel of death goes through and kills 
all of the firstborn in every home that doesn't have the blood painted over the door. That is what Passover means. The angel passes over if there's blood painted on the door. And it's so symbolic of Christ. Remember, everything points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus is the the firstborn, and it's his blood that covers over us so that we can be saved, so that we can be set free, and we can be delivered, and we can walk in, in joy, we can walk in freedom, we can, uh, and, and I'm not saying, I want to I make sure, we do go through seasons of grief. We go through mourning and we go through hard times. I'm not saying that, you know, God has come to just make you giddy all the time because that's not really what joy is. Joy is the assurance that no matter what we go through, we can trust because he is the El Gibor. He is the all-powerful champion the champion of the armies. And he is still in the business of saving us today. And that's why we're going to take communion because it's a reminder of his grace. That he didn't, you know, on the, if, it's, if you think about the Passover, he didn't check and see, well, I wonder how many of these Israelites are compliant with the law. I wonder how many of them have kept all 600 and some laws. I wonder, I wonder which of them, thank you, It's like, no, he didn't, God sent the blood to be over all of the Israelites, which is us. We are Israel. And if you know Jesus, that is why we take this little cup. We take this, oh, he gave me two. He knew I had a rough week. (laughs) You need extra. You know what I'm saying though? It's, it's the blood of Jesus and his body that was broken for us that that little tiny baby who was born in a manger and when that baby was born in that manger, all of the angels, it says a multitude, millions, probably billions of angels came out and were singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. And that's still the song that the angels sing today. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, which is us, peace, goodwill to everyone. And that's the reason that Jesus came to earth, is to save us so that we could have peace with God. We could have peace with the one who created us. And now I just want to say, if you, if you grew up in the church or you've heard this message a hundred thousand times, if you're, if, you, if you're bored with it or you're like... This message is just as pertinent today as it was on the day of your salvation. The reason I talk about it every week is because it is the very existence of God, the El Gabor who has come to seek and save the lost. So we're going to take this communion. Jesus came as a little baby and he grew up and his body was broken. He was whipped, he was beaten, he went to a cross and he bore the penalty for our sins, for my sins and for your sins. He did that for us so that we could be reconciled with God so we could have peace with our creator. And it says that his blood, his perfect spotless blood, his perfect blood was poured out 
for our sins so that we could be saved so that God, the God of the universe, could rejoice over us. He could sing over us and dance over us and rejoice over us. And you guys, that is the point. He didn't just go to the cross like, I guess I'll do that for these guys. He did it because he wants a relationship. He wants you to know he is still all-powerful. He is the mighty God. That prophecy was given over that little baby in the manger. He grew up as a man, and at the age of 33 is when he was crucified, but he is all-powerful. And even today in your circumstances, in your situation. So as we take communion today, I'd like you to just call out on the name of the Lord. Cast your cares on him. Tell him what's going on in your life. Tell him those areas where you're where you don't understand or you don't know his ways or you're hurting and you feel like you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and, prayed and nothing's changed. Talk to him about that. Let him minister to you today. Let him speak to you. Let him rejoice over you with singing. As you call on his name, as you as you declare again to him, I say, yes, Lord. We sang that song. I say, yes, Lord. You hold the world and I will follow. Yes, yes. Can we, can we do that together as we just give him our burdens, give him our cares, give him all of our questions and just trust? Can we open up to just trusting, which goes so against our nature as we take this bread? Let's go ahead and take it together. Lord, we, we do come to you, Lord. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. We give you our burdens, Lord. We give you our questions. We give you our impatience. We give you our rebellion and our arrogance, Lord, and our idolatry and all the things that, that keep us from really having that peace with you, Lord. And we just confess that we, we are so sorry. Lord, we, we know that that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of your glory. But we're so grateful for your grace. Lord, we're so thankful that you don't hold our sins against us when we just believe. And Lord, we just declare to you, we believe. And so now we take this cup. Can you take the little cup? Jesus, we thank you for your blood that you poured out for us, for the remission of sins, for the the wiping out of all of our sins, Lord, that when you look upon us, you see us as spotless and as holy. Lord, you see us as righteous. And we thank you for that, Lord. We don't understand it, but we're so, so, so grateful. And so we bless you. We give you our hearts, Lord, and we thank you. And we ask, God, that in this in this Christmas season, we would really sense that you are in the midst of us, Lord. You are near to us. Lord, that we can find you in a second as we just acknowledge you and we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name.